Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us here in person. And I know many of you are joining us online this week because of fall break. So thank you so much for joining us there as well. If I don't know you, if I haven't met you before, my name is Sawyer Trapp. I'm our associate pastor on staff. And in addition to a lot of other operational responsibilities and communications, I get to lead our student ministries. So if you have a sixth through 12th grader, make sure to come check us out on Wednesday nights. We have a great time at Turbulence helping our teens through the turbulence of their teenage years and beyond. And as you might have noticed, I have a very special guest with me today, my wife of nine years, Sarah Trapp. Hello, hello. Uh, if I have not met you before, I promise it is not out of lack of wanting to do so, more so out of uh, lack of opportunity. Um, normally, I am behind the scenes, uh, not up here. Um, so, Hi, it's nice to meet you all. <laughs> Consider this our first introduction. Um, normally, I am chasing our two tiny little humans um, from stealing all of the snacks in the cafe, or as of recently, trying to manage one, if not both of them, in being sick. So I figured it would probably be a good time to you know, follow up on Matt and Melissa's message last week and make sure that uh, Sawyer didn't say anything dumb today. <laughs> <laughs> um, other things about me that you might know or may have been told, um, I currently work full-time as a therapist and a clinical supervisor here in Denver. Um, I also received my master's in clinical mental health counseling from Denver Seminary, so the same lovely institution that brought us here. Yep, and so I brought in the big guns today. As we talk about marriage, um, Sarah and I have been married now for nine years, and we've been together for more than 15, uh, which is crazy. Like, you're looking at us and like, wow, they're so young. First off, thank you. Appreciate that. We try, we uh, try. Secondly, uh, we're high school sweethearts, believe it or not. So we have been together since uh, I was a sophomore and Sarah was a freshman. So just, just a little walk down memory lane. So we have been married for nine years. Um, so this is a beautiful picture from our, from our wedding day. There we are right after we got married. Um, and then uh, all the way back, the first picture that we have from my first flip phone. There's the nice picture Check of us. Check out that hair. So that was in the, the quad of our high school. And if you're curious, yes, I intentionally did my hair that way. Um, I thought it was a great look to spike up my hair like the Statue of Liberty. Um, but you know what? Sarah still wanted to date I me anyway. I still fell for you, so something must have worked. Yes. Uh, it was all the gel. Yes. <laughs> and so we dated and were engaged for about six years uh, collectively before we were married. Uh, and that wedding day, it was uh, not very fancy. Far no. from it, in fact. <laughs> no, we were the era of DIY Pinterest weddings. So if you can picture exactly what I'm talking about, think burlap and lace and mason jars and lots of hot glue. Anything I could do myself, I was going to do it because we had no money. That's right. <laughs> at yeah. <all. laughs> uh, we had barbecue for dinner at our wedding, not because we both love barbecue, but because it was the cheapest option for a catered meal. Um, we had an iPhone app for a DJ. 
So if you're out there planning your wedding, I don't recommend it because you know what? An iPhone does not take requests. It just plays the playlist that it has. But that was the best we could do. Uh, if you saw in that wedding photo, my, my tux that I rented was a little oversized. It was the best that I could do. Um, my pants were even worse. They're cropped out of this photo, but they were baggy. They were very baggy and they made me look very, very small. But you know what? At the end of the day, we were married. I think we also had a bird poop on your computer too yes. that was uh, running a slideshow showing all our pictures up until that point. So it had some moments that day. <laughs> right. I, I, they say rain is wedding is good luck on your wedding. I don't know what bird poop is, but we're hoping for the best. <laughs> but at the end of that day, we were married and have been together for uh, 15 years and nine years of marriage. And let me tell you, since then, our marriage has been absolutely perfect. Obviously, you know I'm going to say something following that. Um, it has not been perfect. Um, just because we are, you know, two married people in helping careers and in ministry doesn't mean that life was just handed to us and said, here, have the most beautiful marriage ever. It has not been rainbows and butterflies. Uh, we've had our fair share of struggles, whether it be financial struggles, losses within our family, um, struggles thinking about what careers we really wanted to do, good jobs, not so great jobs, um, a car that caught fire on the side of the highway, um, arguments that have ended really well, arguments where I pretend to be a couples therapist even though I shouldn't, um, and just honestly some really, some really tough days. But through it all, We've gotten closer together and we're up here giving you a message on marriage. So we're doing something right. <laughs> yes, and I felt like just as we kind of figured out how to be married and figured all that out, then we decided to have kids. And you know, that changes the dynamics. That's why next week we're having a whole message on parenting because we know that totally flips the switch. So um, yes, our marriage has not been perfect, but it has truly been wonderful. Um, but we're not here in front of you today to give you a one-on-one -on -one of how to have a marriage just like Sarah and I. That's not what we're here to do. We're also not here to tell you that marriage is the end-all, be-all of human existence. I feel like sometimes in the church, it's presented that if you're a good follower of Jesus, you gotta find the right person, that God has one person out there for you, and if you don't find that person, then you're falling short. Some of us, as we talked about last week with Matt and Melissa's message on dating, some of us are called to be single. We're called to be single. But if you are married or if you're pursuing marriage, then there is a lot that the Bible has to say about it as well. But this morning, if you're divorced, if you're remarried, if you lost a spouse, maybe your marriage is on the rocks, we don't want it to present like we have it all together because we're figuring it out too. We're trying to follow God in our marriage. And also this morning, there is so much that the Bible has to say about marriage. It is one of the topics that the Bible talks about the most. So this message by no means is exhaustive, but we're gonna dive into one passage that really gives a good outline of what marriage is, why it's important, and if you are married, how you're called to approach your marriage. But even if you're not, if you're not married this morning, then there is a truth in this message that uniquely applies to marriage, but is applicable to all relationships. So you're not off the hook. And to be real, us married people need your help. So keep that in mind as well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 
So this morning, we're going to walk through one passage of scripture, as I said. If you wanna follow along, you can follow along in your Bible, or we're also on the YouVersion Bible app. So that's the brown little Bible app that comes up if you just search Bible on your app store. Um, the sermon notes are available there if you click the three uh, lines in the top uh, right corner, I believe it is, and then click events. There's an event specific for Arise Church Denver, and you can follow along as we walk through Ephesians 5 this morning. So to start us all off, we're gonna read it and then kind of dive through it together. It starts off like this, starting in verse 22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Continuing on in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for the body just as Christ does the church. For we are all members of his body. It is for this reason that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two should be one flesh. So if you're anything like me, uh, you might be a little uncomfortable at this moment after reading through that passage. I know I certainly was when Sawyer brought up the idea that he would be preaching about marriage on this passage. And it, it made my skin crawl a little bit because we know that there's a history behind these verses. They have not always been used in a helpful context. And for some of you, it might bring up feelings of stick it to the man. But either way, I want all of us to hear that there is truth within these words and there is something that we need to walk away with. Yes, maybe this morning you're on the other side. When you hear that, you're like, yes and amen. Or maybe you start to squirm in your seat when you're like, man, in our modern 2023 version of marriage, is that how we're really called to approach marriage with submission, with husbands maybe over their wives? And I want to tell you this. If God really is who God says he is, the author and the creator of the universe, everything that we exist, everything that exists comes from him, and God is the institutor of marriage, that God has set up marriage, then God gets to kind of set the rules. And if God is true, then this is true not only back then, but is true today. But it doesn't mean we don't need to unpack it. So that's what we're gonna do in this message to see what the truth is at the core of this verse and how we apply it today. So what is this passage saying? If we start right at the top at verse 22, it says this, wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. So that word submit, right? Maybe as you hear that word, you're like, oof, submit? That's pretty strong language, right? But the word submit just means to yield to the authority of another. And to a first century context, when Paul was writing this to the, Ephes excuse me, to the church in Ephesus, this would not have been a radical claim. Even maybe today, some of us, this hits us and we're like, oof, but what about feminism? What about bad husbands? In a first century context, this would have been just the way it is. Wives, women were treated as less than. They didn't have the same roles and responsibilities as they do today. In fact, in many contexts, they were treated as property. 
And so what is Paul doing? Is Paul just saying, hey, this is the way it is, wives, rub it in their face? Or is he doing something else? Is there a significance to the, to the Lord? Is Paul kind of flipping what the situation is just a little bit? So let's look again at that verse in 522. It ends with, as you do to the Lord. So here, God is showing that he does not treat us like property. We are not treated as less than. We are not on some other level that makes us smaller. In his eyes, we are the pinnacle of creation. When you think back to the creation story in Genesis, who, who was created last among the creatures of the earth? Humans. We are the top of that. Eve was created last, and I think there's something to that, right? I think there is Adam too. <laughs> needed a helper. He couldn't do it on his own. Yes, yes. So Paul is not calling wives to subjugate themselves to husbands just outright, right? It's to you as you do it to the Lord. And so what does that mean? That husbands, we have a responsibility to act like God calls us to act. This isn't saying wives that we need to, you need to submit yourselves to husbands that are outside of what God is calling you to. That husbands, we need to step up. We need to be men who are seeking God. We need to be worthy of the respect because God is worthy of our respect, right? Not just because of who he is, but because of what he does. That he acts with love and honor. That he shows his love in ways that bring us to worship him. Us to honor him. Us to yield our authority to him. And in the same way, we as husbands need to be worthy of the submission that wives are called to have, worthy of the yielding that we're called to have. So for women, if you're listening along to this, it's not about bringing yourself down. It's not about lowering who you are. It's not about losing your rights. It's an acknowledgement that when you get married, you are hitched to this other person, your will, your future, all the things you want moving forward, that's, that's what it's about. And that it takes a lot of humility and a lot of sacrifice to get to that place and to do so without grumbling, because I know I will. <laughs> One of the things that kind of came up as we were preparing this message and thinking about sacrifice were the different ways that we've ultimately had to sacrifice for each other. One of the ways that really popped into my mind was the idea of the sacrifice of time. Time is obviously a very big construct, but in our marriage, it has kind of been one of the key things that either goes really well or really doesn't. Because we started off our marriage in graduate school, not quite like other honeymooning couples, most of our time was spent reading and studying and trying to at least see each other whenever we were bouncing between class and working full time and just trying not to lose our minds, honestly. And in that, it kind of set up the narrative for what our marriage would look like moving forward. It meant that we were going to sacrifice a lot of time for the other person. And I know especially, you know, supporting you in ministry has been one of the biggest, biggest examples of that. So sometimes I'm not here. You might not know who I am because... I am in the middle of sacrificing my time for our girls, for 
getting food on the table, for making sure the doctor's appointments are scheduled and laundry's done and all of those things. And like I said, sometimes I have a terrible attitude about it. I will be the first to admit that. But I know that at the end of the day, it is because I am doing that and sacrificing my time for the love of this guy right here. And she does an awesome job with that, if I can just shout her out while I have the opportunity. Oh, they're gonna clap for you, there you go. Ooh, I like this, maybe I should come <laughs> up more often. <laughs> but man, this by no means that we're off the hook, right? Because as hard and as difficult as the words are for wives, the call on husbands is perhaps even harder. Let's look back at Ephesians 5.25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So yes, wives are called to submit, to yield their authority, to sacrifice on behalf of their husbands. But what are husbands called to do? They're called to yield and sacrifice and submit even their lives out of love for their wives. And in verse 28, it keeps going. It says, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And men, much as we might like to pretend that women are focused on themselves, we are too, right? I am. I'm pretty obsessed with myself. I'm a pretty great person. At least I think so when I look in the mirror, right? And you know what? I think God knows that. Actually, I know God knows that. And he's like, you know what? The same obsession and pride that you have about yourself, the same love that you have for yourself, have for your wife. The way you love yourself, love your wife that way. That the image of what it looks like for us to love our wives well is to give up our very life. That Jesus on the cross is our image of what it looks like to love. And yet men, if we can be honest for a second, by and large, we fall short of that. As you look into the world in which we live, there are some statistics out there that are just sad. One in four women has reported violence by an intimate partner. One in three kids are living their lives with an unmarried parent with 81% of those households being led by the mom. Men are about 54% more likely to cheat than their spouse. And so as hard as it is to hear about the words to women, men, we need to step up. Our wives need us. Our kids need us. Our society needs us. There's a lot of talk about what it means to be a true man. That's what a true man is. And so the interesting thing is, though, is that despite us hearing the words to wives and maybe squirming in our seats, when the first century context, Paul's original audience would have heard these words about husbands, there would have probably been some pushback. They didn't marry for love necessarily. These marriages were arranged constructs and contracts, mainly for financial reasons, to ensure their legacies. And so love wasn't always on the table. And now Paul is calling the Ephesians and us to love our wives as Christ loves us in the way that Christ gave up his life for us. That's a challenge. And I don't challenge you with these words from God's word because I have it all figured out. I don't. I am not a perfect husband by any means. And that has made so aware recently because what happens when you preach a marriage like this, or excuse me, a message like this is you start evaluating your own marriage. 
and looking at the ways that I fall short. Because yes, we've experienced a lot of sickness in our family lately. Since Sophie, our youngest, our one-year-old has been alive, she's had RSV, she's had pneumonia, she's had four ear infections and five rounds of antibiotics with the last one. And that requires a lot of change and difficulty in your household. And what I've sensed in myself through this process is yes, I wanna care for my kids and care for my wife and lay down my life for them, but you know who I care about more? Me. My needs, my time, the changes to my schedule, my responsibility, and you know what? Even as I preach these words to you, God is convicting me to lay down my life for my wife and my family. And so I need to step it up too. So even as I challenge you husbands to sacrifice everything, even your life for your wives, challenge me too. So as we look at this passage as a whole, what, what is it actually saying? What is the root of what Paul is trying to communicate here? Obviously, these passages have been argued for centuries. There would not be the uncomfortable feelings that we feel sometimes when we read it if there hadn't been a debate about it. But what I want us to focus on, the reading between the lines, is this our big idea. Our big idea, the marriage is sacrifice. That's right. Because each person in the marriage relationship, man and woman, husband and, life, husband and wife, is called to give their authority, their, their time, their resources themselves to their spouse, their desires, their lives even. And this is true from the very beginning because how this passage wraps up is with words all the way back in Genesis. Verse 31 of our passage says this, for the reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a direct quote all the way back from Genesis 2 when God has created Eve and brings Adam and Eve together in the first marriage. It says it exactly. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and united to his wife and they become one flesh. But what is interesting is when God said these words, Adam didn't have a father. Adam didn't have a mother. It says in the same chapter, the chapter before, is that God had breathed life directly into Adam. He didn't have parents. Eve didn't have parents either. And yet what God is doing is that he brings Adam and Eve together. He is instituting marriage and showing us that there is something special, something unique, a covenant taking place when people get married. When man and woman and God are brought together in a covenant relationship, they become one flesh. Something that I say every time I get to officiate a wedding is that the lives that you've been living before are changing. Because you have your life and you have your life, but now in this moment, your lives are being woven together. That there is one life ahead of you one adventure, one journey. And that means that each person needs to lay down their life, needs to sacrifice, yes, even needs to submit to their spouse if it's gonna work. That this is the way that God has designed marriage. So I'm gonna do a little poll here, so some audience participation. Growing up, who here was taught that when you get married, it's going to be a 50-50 thing? I know I was. Okay, maybe a little less than first service. Okay. Interesting, interesting. So 
obviously we know that life doesn't always allow us to have a 50-50 breakdown of our marriage. It, it just, it doesn't happen. There's, you know, finances, kids, all, all of the things that throw a wrench in our plans. Sometimes we might get lucky if we have 40-60 breakdown. Sometimes... 95.5, sometimes the other person is in fact pulling 100% of the weight. But I wonder why that is. <laughs> I know for us, you know, whenever we do get that 50-50 split, it, it's like a whole new day. <laughs> it feels wonderful. <laughs> and one of the things that I've really seen kind of in my practice as a therapist is how much this belief of the 50-50 breakdown can really lead to a lot of anger and a lot of resentment within marriages. There are some times that a couple will spend a little too much time breaking down exactly what that means. So you do this piece of laundry, I'll do this piece of laundry. You do this dish, I'll do this dish. You pick up the kid this day, I'll do it this day. And everything is so regimented, so broken down, calculated out that it, something doesn't feel right. Other times, one partner might take on absolutely everything. They might do all the dishes, all the cooking, all the cleaning, all the laundry, all the appointments, and even in begging for help, begging for some assistance, they don't get it. And let's be honest, either way, neither of these things is healthy. None of them leads to happiness, None of them leads to joy. And I know, like I said, some days I, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna do it all either. I don't want the breakdown to be different than 50-50. But I know that some days in marriage, that's what's required. That submission and that sacrifice is what is going to keep us moving forward. Right. I mean, the call of Paul and the call of God isn't to a perfect structure in our marriage, right? It's to submission, it's to sacrifice. Even when the other person is falling short, to give up your whole self, even when the other person isn't doing it for you. And yes, these verses have been used in very negative ways. And, and so I just wanna own something. Because I think this passage often gets tossed in with a certain debate of whether men or women are created equal, completely by God, or with the same roles and responsibilities, or whether God has designed men and women to have complementary but equal roles with different roles and responsibilities, right? I think maybe for many of us, that we've heard this passage in that context. But I wanna say to you that ultimately it doesn't matter where you land on that issue, it does matter if you put it into practice. And that's one of the reasons why we haven't taken an official position on, on this issue as a church, on complementarian versus egalitarian, because it does matter. We should study the Bible well and deeply. It's one of the reasons why we both went to seminary. We love the Bible. But the goal of a believer, the goal of following Jesus isn't to have the perfect theology, though that is important. It's just to put what we can say about God and his love into practice. And so yes, it does matter. Theology does matter. But if we're not living according to what we know is true about God and the way he calls us to live, then it doesn't matter. I think this is pointed out so true in 1 Corinthians 13 
A passage that later on, that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, that is ironically read at a lot of weddings. But before that, in verses one through three, it says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains, but I don't have love, then I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do I not have love, I gain nothing. So yes, friends, study Look at the entire course of scripture and come to the best theological conclusion that you can, but don't give up love. Don't give up sacrifice. And that's why unmarried people, this passage applies to you too. Because right at the very top, in verse 21, which we didn't read at the beginning, it's actually the key to understanding this whole passage. Look at verse 21. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for who? Christ. That Christ should be our image and the reason why we submit to anyone. The reason why we sacrifice is because Jesus has sacrificed for us. And that is especially true if we're married to our spouses, but it's also true with anybody we have relationship with. Whether it's a friend, whether it's our kids, our neighbors, the strangers, our coworkers, whoever it is, we are called to submit to them out of reverence for Jesus, out of reverence for what he has done for us. And I'm sure for Jesus and the context in which he grew up, especially having his mother Mary and probably many of the people around him were getting married by the time they were in their 30s or have been married for quite a while. You know, she probably wanted Jesus to settle down. I mean, I'm sure some of you unmarried people have heard that. (laughs) (laughs) But we cannot forget the fact that Jesus himself is that perfect example of the sacrifice. He lowered himself. He came down to earth as a human. He died for us. He sacrificed absolutely everything, even though he didn't have to, to be with us. That's right. Preach it, honey. Amen. (laughs) But this morning, I don't want us to just stay there. Because maybe you were hoping for a little more hope this morning than, man, I guess I got to sacrifice more in my marriage. Right, great, thanks. Thanks for the encouragement, Sawyer and Sarah. I appreciate that. But God's not done yet either. Because you know what? It's the sacrifice that actually leads us to joy in our marriages. And Jesus shows us this. In Hebrews 12, 12, excuse me, 12, 2, it shows us this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So in this, it talks about that joy. That joy is what allowed Jesus to make that ultimate sacrifice. The joy is what brings us closer together. The joy is what makes it all worth it. Right, and this can be true in our marriages as well. It's not just about trying harder, buckling down, trying to give everything to your spouse, even when they're giving nothing to you. This idea is that each person, man and wife, are submitting to the other, yielding to the other, and so there is joy in that. I think an image of that is like a kid on Christmas, right? 
When you're a kid on Christmas, even our daughter Lucy, we got an Amazon catalog and she's already, already circling toys, right? She's worried about what she's going to get. But as we get older, we realize that there's actually more joy in giving gifts, right? That it is so much more impactful and brings us joy to see someone's face light up when they open that present. And I think the same is true in our marriages. Instead of focusing on what we're going to get, on what our needs are, making sure our needs are being met, if we're doing that for our spouse, then that leads to joy. That leads to celebration and happiness. Marriages should be a place of joy. And this is true also with sex. If you are focused on yourself, it might not be very joyful. (laughs) If you are focused on the other person as the other person is focused on you, then that leads to joy. It leads to better intimacy, better closeness, makes you a better parent, makes your marriage a place where God is celebrating with you. I, I know that's definitely true for us. The more joy that we have for each other, the more joy that we have, even in the midst of really terrible things going on in the world, that makes us closer. That makes us want to, in turn, sacrifice more for the other person. And I know for some people today, it's gonna be really hard to hear the word joy and not go, really, again? For some of you coming in today, you're single and you don't wanna hear another message about marriage. For other people, your marriage might be on the rocks and you don't know where it's gonna end up. You don't know if you're headed to therapy or headed towards a divorce. For others of you, maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe they are no longer here And just the thought of hearing one more thing about marriage and how great it is just doesn't feel good. But one thing I want you to hear is that this message and this joy is for you too. That's right. Because we love you. God loves you. And despite this idea often in the church that marriage is the end-all be-all of existence, one of the reasons why the church exists is that we are called to be the body of Christ, a family to one another that no matter what you are going through, whether it's pain or whether it's joy and celebration, we're called to be there for one another. And the reality is, is that no matter if your marriage is great right now or if you were arguing on the car on the way here, or if you're divorced, remarried, widowed, single, and will be for the rest of your life, we all fall short. We all make mistakes. We all don't live up to the sacrificial love that Jesus has for us. We all need Jesus. And he showed us what perfect love looks like laying down his life for his friends so that we can do the same that the image of what love and sacrifice is, is Jesus on the cross. So with all that, if you're newly married and you're in that honeymoon phase, you can't get enough of each other, you still need to turn to Jesus. Right, and root your marriage in a faith. And as you get closer to God, you'll get closer to each other. Maybe today you're out of that honeymoon phase. Maybe you're long out of that honeymoon phase and you're struggling with real life and issues and pain and hurt, then turn to Jesus. It is never too late to start sacrificing for your spouse. And if your marriage is struggling, you fight all the time, it doesn't feel good, you don't know who you married anymore, 
I very much recommend you go to therapy, but also turn to Jesus. If your marriage is on your last legs, maybe that's why you're at church today. For one last attempt to see what God can do in your marriage, then turn to Jesus. I cannot promise that everything's going to work out, but I can promise that God is still working. And if you've lost your spouse, I mean, there's quite a few people in here who have. Jesus has felt that pain. He has felt that grief. He has sat in those feelings with you. Turn to him. He knows and he loves you. That's right. Maybe today as you hear this message, you're like, man, maybe marriage is on the horizon or maybe it's not going to be a part of my life. That's okay too. That is a completely viable option that is often missed in the way the church talks about love and relationships. We love you and turn to Jesus. We all need Jesus. We all need his love. We all need to sacrifice like Jesus, no matter what our relationship status on Facebook says. Because the truth is, God isn't finished with any of us yet. No story is left unwritten none too long, none too crazy, none too painful. He's not finished with us. And that's because of that sacrifice that he showed us. Yeah. And so today, I I think God is calling us to all take a step. If you are married, then it's maybe the step to re-sacrifice for your spouse. Maybe it's the step to acknowledge the ways that you have been falling short. Maybe it's to have that hard conversation. Maybe if you're unmarried today, this step is just to find greater contentment in the season of life you are in or in the life that God has for you. To trust that God has a plan even when it doesn't feel like it. But whatever that step is to take, know that it starts with sacrifice. It starts with putting other people first. Whether it's our spouse, whether it's our next door neighbor, whether it's our kids, God has done that for us. And how can we not do the same? How can we not love like the way that we have been loved? Jesus has given us everything, even his life. And so let's turn to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you love us without condition. And in a world that is filled with love, that is conditional, that is hard and difficult to understand, God, that may we more and more live in to that love. May we more and more believe that we are children of you. That we don't have to live in shame and hurt and pain anymore, but we have been made new through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So God, I pray over this church. I pray for the marriages within it that you will bring them closer to one another as they seek after you. That they will be filled with mutual submission and love as they love you because they have been loved by you. And God, if there's someone this morning that is struggling, their marriage is struggling, maybe they're filled with shame or hurt or pain, or they're just wondering, God, if there is somebody out there for them, that you would love them, that you would speak your truth to them this morning, that you would care for them, God, that you would show them that you are not done yet. 
that their story is not over, that there is new things on the horizon and God, that there is joy, the fullest life found in you. And God, maybe this morning there's somebody listening to my voice who has never accepted that free gift of salvation who maybe for the first time is seeing that God does love them unconditionally, that their past doesn't matter, that their pain doesn't matter, and they wanna turn to you and be made new. And if that's you this morning, that you would say these words as we all say them together. Not that there's anything special about them, but that they reveal that we are ready, that we have messed up, that we wanna be forgiven and live for you. So if you would repeat after me, dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me. Forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you and love sacrificially. If there's someone who prayed that prayer for the first time, that you are now completely and fully loved, that you are forgiven and made new, the angels are rejoicing. And we wanna celebrate with you and set you up with a, with a book of your first steps of faith. We know you have lots of questions. Maybe you have doubts, maybe you have concerns. Maybe your marriage is on the rock so you don't know what your next step is. And we just wanna surround you with love and encourage you no matter where you are this morning. But we gotta know. And so if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you are now a follower of Jesus, if you would lift your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise God, amen. If we can give them a round of applause, God, thank you. We praise you, Jesus, for the work that you're doing here in this church, that you use Arise Church to be a place of transformation, of restoration, of hope, and of joy in a city and in our lives that so desperately need it. God, I pray that we would love like you have loved us in our marriages, in our friendships, in the way we parent, and in all of our relationship, that we would be filled with joy as we give up our lives for the people that we care about, just as you have for us. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If it is your first time or first couple times, we'd love to help you get plugged in, get to know you better. Um, easiest way to do that is if you go to arisedenver.com slash new, scan that QR code behind you. Uh, if you scan that, we'll reach out personally this week, help you get plugged in because the church should be a place where you're needed and known. So we gotta know you. And we wanna surround you with people that love and care for you, that support you, whether you're married, whether you need help with that, whether you're single and need help with that, whether you're going to be married, whether you're divorced, we got a place for you. And we want people to love and surround you and encourage you on your journey of faith. So go ahead and fill out that QR code. If you do, we also donate $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission to help people in need right here in our community. And as we move into our time of giving this morning, I just wanna highlight one of the things that your giving goes to. We have what's called a benevolence fund, and that is a fancy word for just a fund that's used to meet needs as part of our church community. And we have people from many different walks of life, wealthy, poor, people with jobs, people without jobs. And so we have a lot of people that are struggling right now. 
people that are out of work, people that are dealing with medical bills, people that are struggling to put food on the table. And over the past four weeks alone, we've actually given away over $2,500 to people in need right here in this church. And that's awesome. And you should clap for that. But God's not done yet, right? There is way more needs in this church, in the surrounding community than we can even fill right now. And right now our benevolence fund is pretty low and the first service was already so generous, but there's more that God wants to do. And you are so generous with your giving and we couldn't truly do what we are able to do, the lives that are being transformed, the needs that are being met right now because of your giving. In fact, today we had our fourth and fifth grade classroom, our brand new classroom upstairs open for the first time. And those kids walked in and their eyes were wide as saucers because they're like, this space is for me. And that does not go unnoticed because those lives are being invested in. Who knows what those fourth and fifth graders lives are gonna look like, the ways they're going to love because of the investment that we made in them. And so I think God call, is calling us all to take a step. So we thank you so much for your giving. If you've been on the fence about giving, you can know that every single dollar out of that benevolence fund will not be used for anything else except helping people in need. If you wanna to give to our Maximize Project to continue to use this building the way God is calling us to, to help more and more people follow Jesus, you can continue to give to that or just give generally. If you want, do wanna give, uh, you can do that here in person through the white boxes on the doors on your way out or online at risedenver.com slash give. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm gonna to pray for us, pray over our giving. You can use this time to give if you wanna give here in person and then we'll continue with a new song to remind us that God's not done yet. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that we get to praise your name, that you love us and that you care for us and that you showed us what love is. That you are love itself. God, may we love like we have been loved and may these gifts that are being given right now continue to show that love to the people of this church, to the surrounding community, to the students and kids that are being invested in week after week. God, that we would be a beacon of hope and love in this city, in this country, in the relationships that we are in. God, I thank you for this church, for what you're doing in it, for the generosity of this community, for the love that is shown through this church each and every week. It's in your name we pray, amen.